Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. All on. Bob, I see I'm, I'm keeping you on your toes back there. And then my eyes just aren't that good anymore. Turn, if you will, to the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We live, in a, we live in an age when to vigorously defend biblical principles is, is viewed as arrogance, as intolerance, as being mean. In other words, to, to stand up and confront error is considered unkind and bigoted. And this is within the church. Do I, do I need to go any further than the social justice movement? What it takes to stand up, that to stand up against that movement is you're considered to be arrogant, intolerant, mean. This series in Mark, really, we could have called the Jesus I never knew. Because how Jesus responded to these, these kinds of things and these kind of people are instructive to us. I think that we, they are to be models for us. And oftentimes I hear people suggest that, well, we, we can't use Jesus as a model because... Jesus was Jesus. He was God. But, but if, if we were to use that logic, then I wouldn't be expected to love my neighbor either. Because I can't, I can't be like Jesus. So I think Jesus is, in fact, a model for us in, in, in all of the ways. Obviously, we can't raise the dead. Um, but in terms of, in terms of um, his ministry as being a model for us, I think it very much is. Uh, very much so as a model for us. How did he respond when faced with error? When, when, when faced with uh, teaching that was contrary to the Word of God? Not only how he responded, but what it was he responded to. Mark chapter five, or Mark chapter seven. Let's read verses one through five together. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And then, in verses three through four, Mark offers a parenthetical thought. And he tells us as the readers, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, what, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. Um, This first section, verses 1 through 3, deals with a topic that probably someone other than me would be better to to introduce for you. So let me introduce uh, someone to to introduce this, uh, this topic for us. Thank you. 
can tell you in one word. Tradition! time I think of the word tradition, I hear that song. What he just said, traditions tell us, remind us about what God expects us to do. This is really what Jesus is going to address in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. And really, it's not about, the, the, the issue really isn't about ceremonial washings. The issue is about Source of authority. Tradition. In fact, in verses 1 through 13, tradition is mentioned six times. This is about traditions. What is a tradition? What do we mean by tradition or traditions? Okay, good. So something that's, that's repeated a lot. And, and, and at the beginning of the clip, he said, traditions bring balance. So, are all traditions bad? No. No. We have, we have traditions here as a church. One of our traditions, at the end of every service, we sing the doxology. That's a, that's a tradition. A, a, a definition is, is a handing down. Kind of what Neil said. It's, it's, it's teaching that has been handed down either orally or in writing. So we have to understand, first of all, that the traditions that the, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus about are not the kind of traditions we think about. We have all kinds of traditions at Christmas. Our tradition is to open packages on Christmas Day. So others' traditions are to open it on Christmas Eve. That's not the kind of tradition. So I want to make sure you understand. These are not the kind of traditions that, that the, the elders, the Pharisees, have confronted Jesus with. These are teachings that have been handed down either orally or in writing. Now, for Judaism... Um, they had uh, what was called the Midrash or the, the Midrashim. And these were oral teachings that purportedly came down from Moses. So Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. He wrote the, 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 the Pentateuch. But there were also oral teachings that Moses handed down. And, and these oral teachings 
uh, had come down to them and had been now been codified. And um, the, the, these were interpreted by rabbis, by multiple rabbis. And so we had, the, the, by the time of Jesus, some say that there are anywhere close to over 600 what they called fence laws. These were traditions. As Tevia said, where did they come from? I don't know. But they've been handed down. Um, and this is, in fact, what these Pharisees appealed to during Jesus' day. Well, what about the New Testament itself? The word tradition is found 15 times. This is what's interesting. It's found 15 times, this word for tradition, in the New Testament. Ten of those times are found in Mark chapter 7 and the parallel passage in Mark chapter uh, 15. Isn't that interesting? Almost the entire New Testament teaching on traditions or the word is found in this one instance, in this interaction that Jesus has with these Pharisees. Five times the word tradition refers to apostolic teachings. In fact, keep your marker here and turn to 2 Thessalonians because again, not all traditions are bad. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And it's interesting that Rome uses this verse to, to justify oral traditions. That there was a time when all that the apostles spoke orally, those things that were inspired were written down. So that's what he's referring to. In fact, he says that either by word of mouth or by letter. This is a, is a compilation of the oral traditions of the apostles that were written down and scripturated and incorporated. So, what do we mean by what do they mean by traditions? These were teachings that were handed down orally that they in Judaism handed down orally by Moses that were binding upon the conscience. What do we mean by binding upon the conscience? About these are the things that must be obeyed. So think in terms of traditions. These are teachings that have been handed down, and that these are teachings that we are obligated to obey. Luther called it binding on the conscience, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. And it's interesting to me that Jesus never appealed to, Jesus never subscribed to the tradition of the elders. In fact, in Matthew 5, is it Matthew, Matthew 5 or 6, he corrects the teachings of the elders. Remember that, Pastor? He said, you've heard that it was said. He's talking about oral traditions. You, the oral traditions tell us one thing, but I say to you, he's the new authority. He's the ultimate authority. He never appeals to the traditions of the elders or to the traditions that have been handed down. He never subscribes to them. He only appeals to the written word of God. Remember during his, temp- his temptation? Jesus said, it is written. He always appeals to the written word of God or to his own authority, which really are one and the same. Uh, the, the authority of the word is the authority of Christ. So the Pharisees come to him. In verse 1, the Pharisees gathered to him this time with some of the scribes. They've come down from Jerusalem. And they say, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Mark has just exclaimed to us this, this, uh, this elaborate ritual. They had this very elaborate ceremony washing. And when they came back from the marketplace, they had, they had to put, have water. And first they would wash their arms and their hands. It sounds a lot like COVID. They, they, they washed their arms and hands and they would, they would wash it and let the water run down. But the problem with that is the tips of their fingers would be defiled because the water, that's the last thing that the dirty water hit. So then they'd have to wash their hands this way to cleanse it. In fact, the, 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 the text literally says with a closed fist. They, you, they don't wash with a closed fist. So then they would have to wash with closed fists to make sure that the, 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 the uncleanness... We're not talking about dirt bacteria. This is not about cleanliness. This is about ritual. This is about ceremonial cleansing. And the Pharisees said, why, you, why don't they eat? Now, what do we call this in modern day parlance? What, the, what were the Pharisees doing? They were trolling Jesus. What's trolling? Anybody? Maybe it's, 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 it's to bait, it's to make uh, comments or remarks to, to, to provoke some kind of an emotional response. They were, basically, they've, they've been trolling Jesus and they're looking for something and they noticed that, that, that his disciples and, 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 and meant Jesus too were not going through this elaborate cleansing ritual. And what do they say? Do they point the finger and say, shame on you for not following the traditions of the elders? No, what do they do? They ask a question. We're just asking a question. That's all we're doing. I just asked a question. Why, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, how would you expect a pastor to respond to that? Seriously, how to in, in right today? How would you expect me or any pastor? Any how would you? Well, how should we respond to that? Well, we say, okay. Well, let, let me walk you through the scriptures. That's one option. What's another option? Let's have coffee and, and talk about it. Well, what would you expect the res, a, a proper response to that to be? Look at Jesus' response, the Jesus we never knew, right? And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. See, this, this really is not about ceremonial cleansing. That just happens to be the surface issue. The real issue here is primarily about authority. Not legalism. Well, that's part of it. That's the, that's the surface issue. Not ritual hand cleaning, hand cleaning, but it is about authority. In fact, he says in verse 7, it's about teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. It's about saying, it's about taking the commandments of men and making them binding on the conscience. In fact, verse 8 tells us the, 
really the very theme of this section. You leave, you leave off the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. It is an issue of authority. These, these traditions were not benign. They, they weren't, well, you, 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 know, you decide to wash your hands in a ceremonial way. That's fine. Live and let live. But the problem was, they were saying that these traditions were binding not only on their conscience, but should, have, should be binding on someone else's conscience as well. It's about authority. And so Jesus really shows us the threat of, of, of this tradition. And the first thing he says is what? They were hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? This is this audience participation. Well, what, what, do you, what do you think? Somebody who does one thing or says one thing and does another. Okay. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Anything else? Someone who lives a certain way but expects others to do different. Okay, so they expect others to do something that they're not doing, but they want to make you think that they're doing it, or maybe something along those lines. Yeah, that, that's our modern-day concept of hypocrisy, isn't it? But it's simply this notion of, well, I, I really don't live consistently with what I claim, and there's probably an element of that I, you know, I, what I expect of others or, or what I say about myself really isn't, isn't true. It's interesting to me, though, that, that the, the, the biblical concept of hypocrisy has more of a moral component to it. In, in other words, hypocrisy that Jesus talks about is not just duplicity. It's not just, it's not just you know, saying one thing and doing another. But there is a, there is a moral component to it. Uh, when he says, you hypocrites. Uh, turn back to Matthew 23, if you would. Matthew 23 is a, a scathing uh, denunciation uh, of the Pharisees. He said, verse 2, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And again, that's part of hypocrisy. It's to preach, but you don't practice it yourself. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Uh, Tom, well, Paul was sharing, uh, Paul Tanner, who is here several weeks ago, was talking about his ministry to Muslims in Tanzania. And he says one of the things that, that, that they are hearing from these Muslims are, we're tired. <laughs> we're tired of Islam. It is the burdens. And he went through some of, the, some of their traditions, their burial traditions. It's just overwhelmingly burdensome and, and, and look at what he says that you tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and you lay them on people's shoulders they do all their deeds verse 5 to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the place of honor at feasts and, bo- and best seats in the synagogues for greetings in the marketplace being called rabbi by others but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers And then look down with me at verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! In what way were they they hypocrites? 
For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. There's a moral component there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What was was the result of hypocrisy? Here. Eternal death for others. Their hypocrisy was leading people to eternal death. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Now look at verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! Over and over and over again, he confronts them and calls them hypocrites. This has a moral connotation. This is not just duplicity. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, if you go back to Mark chapter 7, he quotes from Isaiah 29.13. And he says there... These, this, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's saying, in fact, that everything is external. Human traditions, the traditions of the elders, everything is external. As long as I do everything right externally, I'm okay. Um, remember the little, the, when Tevius talked about his prayer, the, the prayer tassel. He said, this shows our devotion to God. Uh, really? A piece of cloth shows your devotion to God? This is what Jesus was saying, or Isaiah was saying about them. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's saying that these traditions are all external. They're not internal. In fact, in Matthew 23, verse 25, he says... You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He's saying... These traditions that have been handed down that that you are saying are binding upon the conscience are all external. There is no internal reality. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 7, In vain do they worship me. What does hypocrisy lead to? It leads to vain worship. It leads to false worship. And he defines this false worship as the teaching of doctrines, the commandments of men. In other words, that they were taking the human, human teachings, the commands of men, and saying that they were just as authoritative as the commandments of God. In fact, they had in fact replaced the commandments of God. The threat of tradition is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is not just appearing to be something that you're not. Hypocrisy has a moral, biblically has a moral connotation. And that, in fact, hypocrisy is immorality. Second of all, he says that tradition usurps the Word of God. 
It is, he says, you hypocrites. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. What did they have to do in order to establish the tradition of the elders? They had to reject the word of God. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. He says two things. He says, first of all, the tradition of men disregards, neglects, leaves, or ignores the Word of God. Verse 9, he says it invalidates. Some of our translations would, you would say invalidates, setting aside, rejecting, and, and, and even sidestepping. I think the New, New Living has sidestepping. You sidestep it. And he gives them an example. What's the example that he gives? This is called Corbin. It was called Corbin. And Corbin was a vow that someone would take. In other words, they would take their, their normal offering. And if they made a vow that this is Corbin, it meant that that money could not be used or given to any kind of secular use. That it was a, it was, it was a strict vow that was to be used only for sacred purposes. Not even... So it wasn't given for anything other than for the temple. Uh, it, and that in and of itself is not bad. I mean, you know, we give. So here's the, here's the point. Jesus is saying, so you have this tradition called Corbin where you can make a vow and suddenly, now that can only be used for sacred purposes. And so when, you're, when your parents need help, you don't, you, you don't or you can't help them because you have made a vow of Corbin over this money based on the teaching of the elders. And what's wrong with that? What was wrong with that is the true teaching of the Word of God. Moses said what? You are to take care of them. In other words, he was saying to them, you can't have both the tradition of the elders and the Word of God. They cannot coexist. Because one disregards the other, neglects, leaves, ignores, invalidates, sets aside the other. So you can't say, well, I'm going to kind of do both. Because it is. It's, a, it's an issue of authority. In other words, they had this unconscionable nerve to accuse Jesus of this breach of tradition when they were actually and really neglecting and rejecting the Word of God. That's what Jesus is confronting them with. You have the audacity to accuse me of not living according to the traditions of the elders when you are living in, in, in blatant rejection of the Word of God. And in fact, he uses this occasion to teach about true defilement. Look at me at verse 14. Then he called the people to him again and said to them, 
Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding? And the answer is, Yeah. (laughs) They were always without understanding, it seemed. Yeah, and so am I. Um, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it is expelled? Mark again parenthetically says, Thus he declared all foods clean. I, I, I often wonder at this point, uh, uh, you, you remember most believe that, that Mark got most of his information from Peter. Remember Peter's little ex- experience on the rooftop? The, 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 the thrice repeated lesson that God gave him about clean and unclean? I wonder if this influenced Mark. Thus all foods were declared clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And if if you haven't noticed, these are all bad. All All these, underline this, evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Uh, as a side note, I think we need to start calling evil for what it is. We, we, we don't like to use the word evil and wicked. But much of what I see in my world today is evil and wicked. And Jesus had, Jesus had no hesitation to call evil evil. And, and, and to call wickedness for what it was. And what is Jesus' basic argument? When you eat, it's just food. That's all it is. It's just food. And you eat it, and and it's expelled. It's just food. So he tells us, first of all, that defilement has nothing to do with food. The general statement is, verses 14 and 15, he says, there's nothing outside a person that by going in him can defile him. So eat your seafood. Eat your what? What was the old, what was the Old Testament? I should have looked this up. What was the Old Testament? Some of the Old Testament dietary prohibitions. No sushi. Sushi's right out. No pig. Yeah, they couldn't have. Certainly couldn't have pig. So the question is, why was it okay then, but not in Jesus' day? Any any ideas? They're, they did have dietary restrictions. The law gave them dietary restrictions. It had now become obsolete. What did all that point to? Christ. Separation. But now the oral traditions had come down and said these things are still binding on the conscience. Jesus declared that they were all clean. That was the and, and there's really you know I, th- I thought well how do I how do I explain this how do I exegete this and then there's really nothing you it it, it, it stands as written he's saying food does is not does not defile you eat it and eventually it's expelled 
But verses 17 through 23 is when Jesus explains this. Now notice in 14 and 14 through 17, or 14 and 15, it's with, it's with the crowd. Now, so he's with the Pharisees and he denounced them as hypocrites. It's 14 and 15, he meets with the crowd and now he retreats even further and now it's just him and his disciples. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him, of, and they said, we don't understand what you're saying. I said, do you understand what he, what he said? When Jesus said, hey, food doesn't defile you. You eat it. It's just food. Do you understand that? Okay. Isaiah understands that. Larry, do you understand that? They, did, they couldn't get it. And so Jesus explains it a little more to them. He says, guys, on the one hand, it's not about the food, but it is about the heart. See, guys, man has a heart problem. And it started from the very beginning. Genesis 6.5. You don't have to turn there. Let me read this. Genesis 6.5. If this isn't a statement about humanity, I don't know what, else, what is. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him to His heart. He saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Evil. Wicked. Now, you see, these, these, are, these are realities, these are terms that we need to reintroduce into our vocabulary. People aren't just dysfunctional. Non-Christians are not just functional. But they have evil thoughts and evil intents continually. Because their heart is evil. Genesis 17.9 or, or, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17.9 Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, man has a heart problem. And what we want to do is we want to try to make the heart better. Externally, we just want to make things better. When in fact, God says, no, there needs to be a heart transplant. Man has a heart problem. What does he mean by heart? God talks about, when the Bible talks about heart, what is he talking about? Well, let me ask you this. What, do our, what does our culture mean by heart? When Sarah says to TJ, TJ, I love you with all my heart, what does she mean? What, Michael? Love. Perfect answer. She worships the ground he walks on. <laughs> Normally, we, our culturally, we think of love as what? Emotions. Now, we've talked about this a thousand times. To the Hebrew, when, when they wanted to talk primarily about emotions, they would use the, your guts, your intestines. Because that's where you feel it. That's where you feel emotions. But the heart, when, when most of our translations translate as heart, is in, in biblical thought and language, this was not primarily emotions, although that would be included. But the heart was the center of the human spirit and, and all the things that come from that. Their thoughts, 
their will, their reasoning, their knowing, their thinking. In fact, many translations will translate these very passages with the word mind. It, it begins with our mind. It begins with, it begins with the very center of our human spirit that is evil and that was wicked. And, in, and this is why the Psalm, or the, the, the Solomon says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it springs all the issues of life. It's interesting to me how often we spend on external things, looking right, sounding right, acting right, but our, our hearts are in a bad place. See, Jesus said it's about the heart. In fact... Um, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul addresses this. Second Timothy 3. I said 2. 3. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. Having the appearance of godliness, but an empty heart. In fact, Jesus says this, the heart is the source of all defilement. And and you can read the list there. There, There's really nothing to to add there. Sexual immorality, theft, murder. Where do all these come from? These come from the inside out. And this is Jesus' point. What are we therefore to do? Let me suggest two things. We must meet error head on and give it no quarter. I'm not talking about disagreements over eschatology um, or, or maybe even mode of baptism. I'm talking about when someone takes the teachings of men and, 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 and claim that that is binding on the conscience. That, is, it is, uh, that, that it is obligatory to obey. We must meet that head on and give it no quarter. Whenever there is an authority that would usurp the Word of God, we must meet that head on and give it no quarter. Number two, though, is I think that we, uh, that we must do, Corey, if you could get ready, if we must do an honest self-evaluation regarding what authority binds our conscience. Why do I do what I do? Why do, I, why, why do I believe what I believe? Is my, is my, the authority that binds my conscience the word of God? Or in fact, is it the commandments of men? I thought I'd show a clip here from R.C. Sproul. He's with the Lord now. And his hair is actually combed in this one. Uh, and his tie is straight. <laughs> So let's let's hear what R.C. says about this. Something is by the Scripture alone. Well, what is by the Scripture alone? Luther was saying that the only written source in this world that has the level of authority to actually bind the conscience of a person is the Bible. He said we can certainly be instructed by church tradition. We can be led by church councils. 
the creeds and the confessions of our faith are not to be despised. No written document of men. No confession of faith. No creedal statement. No conciliar <coughs> expression can bind the conscience absolutely. And here's the distinction. Saying, do we do away with creeds? No. Do we do away with confessions of faith? No. But those things ultimately are not what are binding on the conscience. This is the only thing that's binding on the conscience. And when this is attacked, when this is undermined, when this is usurped, we must, like Jesus, meet it head on with no quarter. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are not um, in the dark here. That, that we have a sure and steadfast recording of your will for our lives and what is to be truly binding on our conscience. Now, Father, there are many sources out there. There are many people that want to undermine and replace and neglect and reject your word. Father, it, it's, it, it amazes me with the, the severity that Jesus confronted these men with. That, that to call them hypocrites, the leading religious officials of his day. Father, help us um, help us to be vigorous, to vigorously defend biblical principles. Help us to stand up and confront error when it comes against the only thing that binds our conscience, which is the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?